0: We return to Matthew chapter six, beginning at verse nine, considering the Lord's model prayer as a part of His messianic manifesto. Matthew six nine to thirteen. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Amen. Father, we return to this model prayer of our Savior that was so beautifully given to the nation of Israel as a part of his offer of kingdom come. An offer that indeed was refused, as the scripture says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. The scripture also says that as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power, the authority to become the sons of God. And it is quite astounding that we are here on this Lord's Day morning under the banner of those that have trusted in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus. There's been good singing. Leading up to this preaching moment, good singing reflecting the truth of Scripture, seeking to uplift and exalt the name of Christ, all hail the power of Jesus' name, and seeking to focus our hearts and minds in worship, and couldn't help but think of the last stanza sung being a prayer assist us now to proclaim the glories of thy blessed name. And so with such great and high thoughts already established in this hour, help us now as we turn our attention to the text and seek to learn concerning this matter of thy kingdom come. That will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. A good number of you know that God's prophet Daniel foresaw the capital S, Son of Man, come with clouds of heaven, and there was given to him, in Daniel's futuristic vision, there was given to him, the Son of Man, a dominion, a glory, a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. In that prophetic vision of Daniel, we are told that his dominion the dominion of the coming one the dominion of the king come is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed daniel 7 in verse 14 now it's interesting because that prophetic vision comes after The prophetic vision of four beasts, each beast representing a world empire that would rise to rule the earth and then fall, rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall, fall. and then ultimately the rise of the kingdom of the Son of Man and once he is established on the earth. As king of kings, his dominion is forever. His kingdom is forever. And as we sing the words at Christmas, he shall reign forever and ever. So why in the world are we praying about thy kingdom come, since the king has already come? The kingdom... Interestingly, that kingdom of Daniel 7 has been a topic of Jewish prayer prayed since the time of the Babylonian captivity, and it interests me that today it is prayed as a part of every Jewish funeral. It is called the Kaddish. Here is an English translation of that Hebrew funeral prayer from Beth Abraham Memorial Chapel in Manhattan, New York. Quote, May the name of God be exalted and sanctified throughout all the world, which He has created according to His will. May His kingship be established in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the entire household of Israel swiftly and in the near future and say, Amen. That Jewish prayer called the Kadesh specifically asked God that his name be hallowed and that his kingship be established on the earth. There's more to that prayer than what I just read for you, but it strikes me that there is a phenomenal similarity in the opening of the Jewish funeral prayer to the model prayer of the Lord Jesus given here, Matthew chapter 6. And verse 9, as a part of his manifest manifesto, particularly that part that has to do with the hallowing of the name of God and the prayer for kingship or thy kingdom come. That God's name would be exalted, that God's name would be sanctified or hallowed, and that his kingship would be established on the earth that it has been a prayer on the earth repeatedly, literally, for thousands of years, both by God's blood-bought people and previously and continuing by God's ethnic people, Israel. Now today we're going to seek the better grasp in the Lord's model for prayer, this part of the Messianic Manifesto. I would remind you that what we have here flows out of the mouth of our living Lord after introducing the subject of prayer as a part of that manifesto, starting with verse 5, under the banner of, and when thou prayest. Our Lord said, do not pray like the hypocrites pray, do not pray like the heathen people do, but rather pray like this. 6 to 9 is... I should say 9 to 13, is uh, that focus of pray like this. After the addressing of the importance of prayer, pray to God the Father, the first and foremost thing to pray is that God's name be hallowed or sanctified in real time, here and now. The most important thing to pray about our Sunday services is that God's name would be honored, hallowed, sanctified among God's people as we gather in this place. The most single important thing to pray in regards to your personal life is that God's name would be hallowed in the sphere of your own activity and influence. The first and foremost thing to pray is that God's name be sanctified or hallowed. And then the next phrase to be prayed in the model prayer has to do with the coming of the kingdom exactly as is stated in the Jewish Kaddish, and exactly as is stated in the very similar beginning to the Lord's model prayer. Like the Jewish Kaddish, dating back to the days of Daniel and Ezekiel, the Lord's model prayer for His disciples recognizes that God, by the prophets, promised a kingdom to come on earth, that would exercise world wide dominance and would indeed be a forevermore kingdom that the history of mankind relative to king and kingdoms would be rise and fall rise and fall rise and fall rise and fall, rise and, fall and then rise and never fall that is the bible prophecy concerning God's kingdom. Matthew is particularly, as a gospel writer, focused upon the presentation of Christ the king made to Israel in the first century and the explanation as to why, from a practical human perspective, there's been a sense of kingdom delay. The king came. The king came saying, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand or near. And yet, the same king tells his disciples that they should pray, Thy kingdom come. And, uh, and uh, a little bit later in our study of Matthew, chapter 12, the Lord will say to the Jewish uh, uh, people witnessing his great miracles, uh, If you have seen what you've seen by the power of God, you should be aware of the fact that the kingdom of God has come to you. And so did it come? Yes. Should it come? Yes. Is it here? Yes. Is it here? No. And so you can't just take some kind of a, of a doopy attitude towards this topic and to come away with any sense of grasp, except you look to God to help you to understand the marvelous opportunity that we have this morning in this place, and yet the glorious sense of fulfillment that is yet to come as the reformers say it, already and not yet. When you talk about the kingdom, you have to talk about already and not yet. Theologians talk about the inauguration of the kingdom in the first advent and the consummation of the kingdom in the second advent. And those are good thoughts to help us as we think about the aspect of thy kingdom come. But one of the most fascinating studies in all the scripture is on the topic of God's kingdom. The term God's kingdom is clearly used in the Bible in three different interlocking ways. Number one, God's kingdom refers to his eternal universal rulership over all things. God is ever, in all eternity, past, present, and future, the king. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens. His kingdom ruleth over all. Every day, every decade, every century, every millennial, back, forward, and now. God is the king over all. The Bible speaks of God's kingdom in that sense. Number two. God's kingdom is the term used to speak of the earthly, messianic kingdom of promise and prophecy. Both John the Baptizer and Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom during the first advent. When Jesus died for our sins, the signboard above his head rightly read, King of the Jews. When Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate to retrieve the body of Jesus, he is described in Mark 15, 43, as a man that, quote, waited for the kingdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea, before he was saved, Joseph of Arimathea was a faithful Jewish worshiper who was waiting, based upon the prophecy of Daniel 7, of a kingdom of God to come associated with the capitalist Son of Man in which there would be worldwide do- dominance and a forever reign, uh, 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 Joseph of Arimathea was waiting for that fulfillment of kingdom when he begged the body of Jesus to bury Christ aright. Not understanding, I'm sure, fully the role that he was playing in the beginning of reversal as God begins to turn the aspect of the light bright. on on Christ, uh, associated soon in the idea of resurrection and then ultimately in regards to the ascension. But nonetheless, Joseph of Arimathea described as a man that waited for the kingdom of God. When the resurrected Christ met with the disciples on Ascension Mount, uh, the disciples asked him if now, at that moment, was the time of uh, the kingdom of God to be restored on the earth, and Jesus told his disciples on Ascension Mount that the timing of that fulfillment was not for them to know. But that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to just to see briefly the aspect of where it all ends. If you look ahead to Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15 You can see where this idea of messianic kingdom comes to its fruition in prophecy, Revelation 11 and verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, of his Messiah. And he, the Lord, he, his Christ, shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11.15 describes the moment when all of the kingdoms of the world in actual physical manifestation on the earth come under God the King. Revelation 11.15. And then the third way that the term kingdom is used uh, has to do with the here and the now, with emphasis upon a relationship that a person can possess with Christ by faith and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.13 speaks of a believer as being translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Do we still pray thy kingdom come? Yes. Why? is isn't here yet. The kingdom isn't here yet. But there are kingdom citizens here right now. There are kingdom citizens right here, right now, in this room. because those that put their faith in Jesus Christ, Colossians 1:13, have been translated or transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And therefore Paul says to the Philippians that they have citizenship in heaven, because they've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. In Colossians 4.11, Paul calls a number of faithful men who are serving alongside him in local church ministry, quote, fellow workers unto the kingdom of God. Those that faithfully serve the Lord in a place like this uh, can be referenced as fellow workers unto the kingdom of God which is promised to come. So God rules over all. History is His story from the beginning to the end. And God has promised that the Jews Messiah, the Savior of the world, will rule and reign on this earth in a coming day ahead. In the meantime, there are some like us that understand ourselves to be citizens of that kingdom which is to come. We know the New Testament declares us to be ambassadors of Christ, calling upon sin-sick world to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, our faith will be made sight. The spiritual reality here and now will have a physical manifestation in all the earth. I don't know why we have to give so much thought to 2024. But I pray that long before 2024 comes, even so come Lord Jesus. And what we really want in a ruler, what we really want in a leader, cannot be fulfilled by any other man except the God-man, Jesus Christ. And indeed, he shall reign, and that forever and forever. This is the hope of the child of God. And it just allows you, knowing that, to endure a whole lot of stuff leading up to it, including the mess and all the chit-chat about 2024 and the next one and the next one. However, in the program of God, there is to be a next one along the way. So the question that I would ask this morning... From this general review of God's kingdom and the prayer statement of the model prayer, thy kingdom come, is what does the phrase, thy kingdom come, what does it teach us about praying? Because after all, it is within the context or under the umbrella of the topic of prayer as introduced back at verse 5. And three things this morning that I think we can say with absolute confidence that this phrase in prayer, thy kingdom come, teaches us about praying. Number one, our prayers ought to follow the promises of God. The best way to pray, you could argue the righteous way to pray, And really, the only way to pray is to pray with an open Bible, eyes fixed upon the exact things that God has promised us. That is the way we ought to pray. We ought to pray for that which God has specifically promised us. Regarding the kingdom, we ought to pray with an eye fixed upon the glad time ahead, when God's messianic promise is fulfilled. All prayer is prayed according to promise. Kingdom fullness is yet to come. Local church manifestation of God's kingdom in representation is certainly begun, but by no means complete. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're saying a number of things to God. First of all, we're saying to God, you know, Lord, I really do believe that what you promised us about the dominant forever rule of the Son of Man, capital S, capital M, Son of Man, I believe that's going to happen. And I not only believe it's going to happen, I'm praying about it's happening. Because I know that it surely is a stated part of your will for this planet as surely is the salvation of my soul. It is the will of God that that kingdom come. Our prayers ought to follow the promises of God. We can pray for wisdom. God promised it. We can pray for peace. God promised it. We can pray for strength. God promised it. Not necessarily physical strength, but strength commensurate to our task. Strengthen the inner man to endure faithfully. But our prayers ought to align themselves along with the promises of God. Prayers and promises go together in the life of the child of God. Secondly, this phrase, thy kingdom come, in the Lord's model, teaches us that God's rule over all the earth will be manifest as promised, and thereby we must gladly submit to His rule here and now. When I pray, Thy kingdom come, I'm not only saying, "Oh Lord, I know that someday... There's going to be a physical manifestation of your rulership on this earth as never before. Oh, God, I want that. Oh, God, that's what I desire. But more than that, it is the recognition that God is the king now, that I by faith am a kingdom citizen now, and as a result of that, something of my submission to God as king ought to be Seen in my life. Not someday golden daybreak, but right here and right now. Haddon Robinson says, quote, we dare not pray for his rule over others unless we honestly desire his rule over us. Praying, Thy kingdom come, ought to remind us of the necessity of our personal submission to God and His requirement of obedience in righteousness. After all, the kingdom of God is not about feasting and fasting, but about a life lived, a life lived in righteousness. A life lived in peace. A life lived in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul told the Romans that the believer who serves here and now in these kingdom ways pleases God here and now. God is pleased when kingdom citizens here and now exercise themselves in righteousness, in peace, and in joy in the Holy Spirit. Our prayers that God rule over all the earth be manifest as promise reminds us that we must gladly submit to his rule here and now. In other words, to pray thy kingdom come is to say, Lord, I want to obey. I want to obey you. I want to be subject to you. I want to be submissive to thy will. Uh, I want to to represent well uh, the realities of kingdom realities in my life. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And then number three, our prayers concerning God's coming rule remind us that we live in hostile territory. We pray thy kingdom come because we recognize it isn't here yet. In the sense of the physical manifestation of which it is promised. Peter references believers in his first revelatory letter as aliens and strangers and pilgrims living on earth with continuing struggles within and without. I don't know about you, but I often feel alien. I often feel like a stranger. I often feel like a pilgrim. I often feel like I don't belong. I often feel... The reality as uh, sung, this world is not my home. But it surely will be whence the world is made right. So much of Baptist hymnology is, is predicated on, let's get out of here and get to heaven. And there's nothing really wrong with that. I understand it. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Boy, you can sing that one. So much, though, of our Baptist has to do with getting out of here. It is not the will of God, ultimately, that we get out of here. It is the will of God that heaven, come to earth, and God shall rule over all forever and ever. And God's people say... That's what we're going after. God made man to have a body. We just came through the season in which we emphasize the doctrinal truth that Christ raised from the dead bodily. And God will not be content until his kingdom rule is absolutely secure in every body. And in every earthly body in all the universe. It's quite a promise. It's quite a thought. It's quite a prayer. Peter, in his second letter, challenges believers to live proactively and diligently in pursuit of all grace so as to not stumble, citing the grand and glorious, quote, entrance that shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2.11 This world as she is, is not our home, but she shall be made home for us in Christ, in the coming day. And Peter specifically says, if you exercise yourself to walk with God, uh, to depend upon the Spirit of God, to order your life according to the Word of God, if you indeed exercise yourself to pursue from God's good hand all the fullness of grace that flows out of heaven uh, to you on this earth, Uh, so that you're not constantly rubbing your nose in the dirt of sin, but you're walking upright in the Lord, that uh, it will be just a wonderful, wonderful day ahead when you enter into the abundancy of a new heaven and a new earth in which only righteousness dwells. MacArthur says it this way, It will be a kingdom on the earth, but it will not be a kingdom of this world. No human king could dovetail with God's kingdom, even partially. And yet, God the king become man, did in will. Our prayers concerning God's kingdom remind us that the kingdom and eternal life are present experiences as well as future promises present experiences, here and now, future promises, there and then. This prayer, thy kingdom come, will make you grateful for what you possess in Christ, even now, as John Piper said it in his book, The 50 Demands of Jesus. The demands of Jesus are only as hard to obey as his promises are hard to cherish and his presence hard to treasure. Piper, bless his little pea-picking heart, says three things in that statement. Number one, Christ demands we obey him. And obeying the Lord is no harder than cherishing the promises that have been given to us. And in fact, there's a relationship between the promises that God gave us to us the reality of the one we're thinking about here, the kingdom of God to come, there's a reality of that promise made us that is fixed and sure, that impacts the aspect of our prayers, and in the impact of our prayers, we find the energy, we find the strength, we find the kitzpah, we find the the, the, the guts to stand tall for Christ, uh, regardless of what else is happening around us because we've laid hold of the promise and we cherish it, and thereby we pray in relation to it. And on that basis, we find the strength to obey and to meet the Lord's uh, uh, call to obedience. And in the midst of that comes the attitude and the reality of a manifestation of God's presence as treasured in the context of our lives, where that once again, we can say to the Lord, as Dawn played this morning for the offertory, I really rather have Jesus. And I'm not talking about someday when he comes in power and glory. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life today. The experience of the moment. The kingdom for which we pray and of which we now have a taste. Individually can certainly be experienced in the broader context of a home or a local church. When Paul addressed the need in the local church of Rome, he advised them to deal wisely and in good faith with weak Christians. He held up the characteristics of the kingdom of God as the potential experience among them as a local church family. Theological scholars debate the exact relationship between the kingdom of promise and the church on earth. It appears that the local church on earth, like this one, has the potential to function as an outpost of the kingdom of God to come. We cannot make things right in all the earth. We cannot bring peace in all the earth. We cannot make this sinful world joyful as God himself deems joyful here on earth. But by God's own calling and by God's own grace, we can experience something of kingdom righteousness. We can experience something of kingdom peace. And we can experience something of kingdom joy among us in Christ even now. And likewise, that which is possible and potential in every local church, in every time of gathering, is likewise a potential in the midst of a godly home, which can be a kingdom outpost, representing and reflecting... That which is soon to come. And it's helpful just to think about what prevents that. Well, in a family, the only thing that can prevent the experience of kingdom blessedness, righteousness, peace, and joy in a family are family members. You got that son, you got that daughter that are away from the Lord, and it stifles and restricts the experience of joy and peace and righteousness, as God clearly indicates, is His will. What is it that prevents? the experience of kingdom righteousness and the experience of kingdom peace and the experience of kingdom joy in the context of a local church. The people who attend there, the leaders who lead there, the people who participate there, listen, you and I have capacity in Christ here and now to enjoy a little bit of kingdom Righteousness and the peace and the joy as characterized in the scripture, even for the local church in Rome. And so, when we pray, we are saying to the Lord, Let your promised kingdom come now. Let your promised kingdom be evident here. Let your promised kingdom be represented among us on this very Lord's day in righteousness and peace and in joy. The constitution of this kingdom prayer flies within the heart of the disciple praying and among the hearts of the disciples gathered for to worship God, There are practical and personal ramifications of this kingdom prayer, and yet, by no means is that the fulfillment of it. The fulfillment of it has to do with the promise of God's kingdom come on the earth in which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One final thought grabs my heart and mind this morning as we think on these things, and that is that in all reality, you and I, unlike Joseph of Arimathea, are not waiting for the kingdom. But as Paul commended the Thessalonians, we wait for the return of the king. I am not ultimately postured in my mind to just be looking for the kingdom of God to come, but the king who is God to come because it is the coming of the king that finalizes the reality of the kingdom. It is God the Son, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. Joseph of Arimathea waited for the kingdom, you and I are actively waiting for the return of the king. Father, thank you this morning for the listening ear and for the opportunity we've had to think upon such glorious things this morning as thy kingdom soon to come. In the meantime, help us that we might be faithful kingdom citizens Experiencing something of thy righteousness, peace, and joy, even in this day of worship and instruction together. Draw upon the heart of the sinner unto salvation. Draw upon the heart of the saint unto the sanctification of the soul. Help us on this Lord's Day morning to be a responsive people. And so we pray, as we've recently prayed again and again, that you would reveal to each one their true need, their one true need. And lead us now to seek that in prayer by way of specific fulfillment. We ask in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.